Well, we're continuing the sermon from two weeks ago uh, with regard to the key of David. And uh, we looked two weeks ago at the case of Shebna in Isaiah chapter 22. Shebna was a man who had taken his political privilege and abused it and like pharaohs of old built himself a tomb of all things. You know, a big tomb is a waste of money. Why is a big tomb a waste of money? Because I'll tell you, one day, I don't know when, one day, no matter how fine a tomb I may be placed in, I'm going to break it open. Because the trumpet will sound, the archangel will shout, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then, if you and I are alive when the Lord returns, now there are promises in the Old Testament that appear to me yet to be fulfilled of Christ's conquest of the whole earth. But who defines that? I don't. God himself does. And before Christ returns, there is the revelation of the personal man of sin. Has that happened yet? Not sure. But I know this. A tomb is a foolish waste of money. And do you know that a whole culture, as we saw two weeks ago, was built around making sure the big man at the top had a really fine, fancy tomb, Pharaoh. How did people ever fall in for such craziness? You know how? Because the nations of this world, except for one nation at that time, and that is those descended from Abraham, all the rest of the nations of the world, according to Deuteronomy 32, had been given over to principalities and powers, some of whom were extremely hostile to God. So we see Shebna in Isaiah 22, builds himself a big tomb and abused his power. And then God took the key of David from Shebna and gave it to Eliakim, who was a righteous man, a truly righteous political leader. And Shebna used it well. But we must always remember this about every Old Testament character. Ultimately, they point to the Lord Jesus Christ because the only truly honest, the only truly sincere, the only truly selfless political leader in the history of the entire world is none other than David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings us to where we are today in verse 7, where the angel of the church of Philadelphia is writing to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. And so it's the Lord Jesus Christ that owns the keys of David. And that means that what he opens, nobody can, nobody can shut. And what he shuts, nobody can open. Let's think about this for a few minutes. I want you to hold your hand there and turn with me back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, because this throws some light on the passage that I believe is helpful. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, page 1792. 
And Paul is writing to the Corinthians in what is 2 Corinthians, because there are really four letters to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians that we don't have. 2 Corinthians that we call 1 Corinthians. 3 Corinthians that we don't have. And then what we call 2 Corinthians is 4 Corinthians. Why aren't they in the Bible? Because not all of the revelations that God gave are of what I will call timeless and Catholic importance. What do I mean by Catholic? I mean by universal. The whole church in all places at all times is the Catholic church, lowercase c. And not every revelation that someone was given was for the whole church. So we have left to us 2 Corinthians and 4 Corinthians. And the other letters were not preserved. Why were they not preserved? Because the Holy Spirit didn't write them for your benefit and mine. So anyhow, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and defending his not getting there right away. And so he says, we, we should probably pick it up in verse 5, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you. For I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you a while or even spend the winter winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. That's what Sandy and I did. We made passing visits since this Sunday two weeks ago. We traveled from here to the hill country, got in late at night, trying to avoid hitting those deer that were introduced there years ago, and uh, spent the night, and the next day, I met with the elders of our church in Ingram. Then I traveled down to the border, and we spent three nights on the border with Mexico. Not in Mexico, but visiting the churches along there, and then we traveled back. So I made a lot of visits in passing and uh, got to meet a lot of people again. I did not visit them in 2020, but we felt the Lord lead us to do this. So we visited many, many people. And along the way as we were visiting, I found something true that we'll see in our text back in Revelation. Most churches don't have much strength, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, I don't want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Now notice verse 8. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has been opened to me and there are many who oppose me. Now let's rest there for a few minutes. A great door... For effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Let me tell you the nature of revival. As I tried to study what the Bible teaches about last things, over the years, I remember being asked in 1972 uh, by the editor of a denominational magazine to write an article on Revelation chapter 20, which caused me to immerse myself in, in study and try to sort out what I really believed the Bible taught. I discovered something. Revival and persecution go hand in hand together. 
revival and persecution go hand in hand together. See what Paul says there as he's speaking? He's going to stay in the city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. He's going to stay in the city of Ephesus, which is, of course, uh, the, it, it, one of the churches that, he's right, that Jesus is writing to in Revelation. He's going to stay there. Why? Because it's a fruitful time of ministry. Do you ever think about the life of Paul? Do you remember how he ends up not going east at a point, but going to Macedonia? He said the Holy Spirit kept hindering him from going east. We don't know why. And then he had a vision one night in a dream of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. The point is there are seasons when the Spirit of God is moving, and there are seasons when the Spirit of God is not. You know, as you read the Gospels, you discover that on occasion Jesus had great power to heal, and on other occasions it appears not. Mark chapter 6 verse 5 says, And Jesus could not do any significant miracle there, but lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. There are times when the Spirit of God was poured out in the ministry of Jesus himself, and there are times when the Spirit of God seemed not to be. And we need to remember that. If that's true of Jesus, that's also true of us, because Jesus gives us the same power that he had, which is the third person in the Holy Trinity who filled the Lord Jesus full. And so... What happens here in Ephesus is that there is a great open door. Paul had opportunities to share Jesus with people in an unprecedented way. And he wanted to stay there until Pentecost. Why does he mention Pentecost? He's just giving a time frame. And uh, because Paul did observe the Jewish festivals. Why? It's the same reason that he went into synagogues on Friday evenings. Why? Because he wanted to reach the Jews first and then the Gentiles. Synagogues didn't have anybody in them on the Lord's Day, only on the Jewish Sabbath. So Paul marks time in a Jewish frame of reference because, again, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. So Ephesus is a place. What's the matter? daughter and her husband both have COVID and now their six-year-old daughter's awakened this morning with 100, over 100 fever. Why don't a couple of us come down here and pray for please, Von Seal? Please pray. I'm so upset. <laughs> oh Lord. Oh Lord. Please help Von Seal. Please be with her daughter and, and, and her daughter's husband and now the little granddaughter. Am I getting that right? No, it's my granddaughter and, and, and her husband have COVID and the great-granddaughter. Oh. Granddaughter and great-granddaughter. Yes, Lord. Husband. Please, uh, please help. Sandy, why don't you pray too? Yes. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now for your hand of steadiness to come upon Bunsfield. Of course, Lord, she is worried yes, for Lord. safety for her granddaughter, her, her great-granddaughter, and, and the husband. Lord God, would you 
just give your peace to my soul now. And Lord, that we are trusting you in the name, blood, and authority of Jesus for healing for these three dear, precious people. Yes. Lord God, mm. and we lift them up for healing. And that, Lord, we will have a good report even by the end of today when God yes. heals. Uh, gets back to, to uh, and calls them. She will have a better report. Lord God, in Jesus' name, we lift this family to you. Amen. Amen. Fonseil, <laughs> let me say, on behalf of this whole congregation, we love you. And whom you love, we love. Who is precious to you are precious to us. God bless you, dear and keep you and grant us great news before the sun sets this day right. Jesus name mm -hmm. right. thank you for coming in we can't even nobody can even take Ainsley to the doctor to get medicine or anything because you know both her parents have COVID where, where do they live here in Texarkana here in Texarkana is someone available to do that for Von Seal well No, they can't. They can't go in and take them because they both got COVID. You know, her parents have COVID. They can't go get her. And if she, you know, she's got the fever and everything. Father God, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus again that you will make a way uh, for Von Seal's granddaughter and great granddaughter and a husband. Mm. Lord, you can make a way, and yes, I pray can. that indeed medicine will be available and can get there. Somehow, some way, yes. in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. We love you. I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, that's all right. That's prayer. You know, I'm going to leave this in the sermon because this is what a church ought to do. I just had to have, I was telling her to let me have prayer because she's trying, she said, Mother, don't, don't let anybody know. And she says, Mandy doesn't want anybody to know, but... We need to know, and we need to pray. And I had to ask for prayer. Amen. We love you. Lord, as I continue this sermon, I pray that you would bless it in a special way. We won't worry about time. We'll worry about meeting with you because, Lord, a great door and effectual has opened to us and there's much opposition. In Jesus' name, help us. And so what Paul is saying here is that in the city of Ephesus, he had an unprecedented opportunity to share the Lord Jesus Christ with other people. And yet, he says, going hand in hand with it is opposition, revival, and persecution. Open doors and opposition. They go hand in hand together. We think, you and I do, in our natural reason, that if there's real revival, there's not going to be any opposition to it. Everything is just going to be peace in the valley. Everything is just going to be wonderful. Everything is just going to be coming up roses. But the reality is, when God opens a door, the evil one and all those aligned with him come against that with everything they've got. Now, I want to think about that for a moment. I 
distributed a letter. And the reason I distributed that letter was that I had an invitation to go to Virginia Beach, Virginia, to represent something that later evolved into a politi- Christian political thing. And they put me up in a hotel, and I heard all kinds of speakers speak, including Gary North. And uh, I thought, well, this was exciting. They paid my way. They put me up in a hotel. And then we took a bus from there to Washington, D.C. And um, so anyhow, I also had an invitation to attend the Rose Garden announcement by President Ronald Reagan, May 8, 1982, that he was proposing a constitutional amendment to permit children to pray in school. And so I wasn't going to fly back to Alexandria, Louisiana, only to fly back for that. It was a big deal. Now, this is what I want to tell you, because this is a great story. I had been counseling a woman I'd never met by long distance because God had used me in the life of her friend who had been caught up in adultery and this woman too was caught up in adultery and she would call me periodically sometimes it was every other month after I left to go to Virginia as I'm leaving the hotel she called my office And my secretary said, he's not here. And so she got my home phone number from my secretary. And she called, and and Sandy answered the phone, who had never met this woman or talked to her before. And she said, where is he? (laughs) And my wife said these words, he's in Virginia. That woman was in Virginia. When my wife spoke those words, he's in Virginia, chains broke on this woman. She had been in bondage to an adulterous relationship with somebody and could not get free. It was an addiction. It was like heroin addiction. She couldn't give it up. And she cried and cried out to God for help. And when my wife said he's in Virginia, the Holy Spirit took those words to say, I love you enough that if you need to have this man meet with you, I'll bring him there. Now I'm going to tell you another story. So I had time to kill, and we did get to meet. We had a a lovely visit. She and her husband drove to Washington, D.C. I put them up in the hotel, and then later they took me back to their home in a city in Virginia where I met with five couples. This church was riddled with adultery. Five couples, all of whom were involved in some kind of uh, affair. Okay, so I had that opportunity. Now, I had time to kill in Washington. And Washington is a fascinating city. Everything is free (laughs) that you pay for with your taxes. And so I made an appointment to go see my congressman. And his name was Long, Gillis Long. He was a relative of the late Huey Long. And so I went to see him. He made an appointment for 15 minutes to see me. I went into his office and I said, Congressman Long, he, he, I said, you and I, are, I'm, I'm one of your constituents. I'm pastor of the Presbyterian Church in Alexandria. And I wanted to ask you uh, a, a favor. Well, what's that? I said, well, I want to appeal to you to be pro-life. And Congressman Long uh, took the time and he explained to me why he would not vote the pro-life position. 
I listened. And he was polite. And he was courteous. And he was kind. He stated his position clearly. And he was wrapping up the time, you know, looking at that watch. And the Holy Spirit impressed me to pray for him. And I said, Congressman Long, would you let me pray for you? And he said, sure, Bob, go ahead. And so I put my hand on his shoulder and I began to pray. I prayed, I don't know what I prayed, but I prayed earnestly. I prayed passionately. I prayed that God would do things for him and touch his life in a profound way. As I recall, he had tears in his eyes. I don't mean boo-hoo coming down the cheeks, but he had tears in his eyes. And he said to me, Bob, I've got a meeting. Why don't you come with me? And he took me and he introduced me to all of the big shots uh, in the U.S. Congress. Tip O'Neill, Jim Wright, all of those people at that time. He was introducing me to them. I thought, wow, why is he doing this? And then afterwards he said, now Bob, I've got to go into the Congress and I'm going to have to vote, but let me take you up in the balcony. I'm going to sit with you the whole time and I'll have to leave you at a point and go back down. Now why am I telling you these two stories? Because in my mind, I thought, well, the big deal is to get to go to the White House for the Rose Garden uh, for an announcement to propose a constitutional amendment to permit prayer in school. You know, that never happened. You want to know the test of what a political party really believes? Don't read their platforms as worthless. What legislation do they pass? Because that's where they put their political capital. And so all of this time, think about it. From January 22nd, 1973 until now, has Roe v. Wade ever been overturned? And the answer is no. Why? Because no matter what politicians say, you measure what they really are for by what they accomplish. So, I was deluded because politics is is a very deceptive and seductive thing. But God had a real reason for me going to Washington, D.C. He had two reasons. He wanted my wife to say to a woman who was bound in adultery along with four other couples in their church. He wanted to give an opportunity to witness to the power of God to break the chains of adultery. Because only the Holy Spirit's power can break the stronghold of addiction to adultery. And God wanted me to minister to a U.S. congressman who had great need, and who within three years died. Are you getting a picture? You know, Paul had an open door. That open door did not mean that he would now have political power and he would now force Christianity on non-Christians. That open door meant that he could reach out and find this pagan and that pagan and this moralistic person and this 
immoral person and lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the only way to change the world, as we pointed out two weeks ago, is the individual heart being changed. The way of the kingdom of God is the seductive power of the Holy Spirit changing people from the inside out. Listen, let me tell you this. We have some very, very strange days ahead. Because in Louisiana, while I was gone, the governor of the state now has imposed a mandatory mask mandate for everyone five years old and older in any public building. And I have friends who are liable to not only not do that, but I know people who are thinking of taking up arms against the government. Wow. Wow. Let me tell you, for the first 300 years of Christianity, Christian people never used physical force to impose the way of Christ on other people. If you look at the life of Jesus, if you look at the life of Muhammad, there's a radical difference. And if you look at Christianity for the first 300 years and the first 300 years of Islam, a radical difference. Christians for those 300 years were always willing to die for their faith. They were never willing to kill for their faith. Power in the kingdom of God is viewed by the world as weakness. Now that doesn't mean that you obey everything the government tells you to do, but you, you disobey respectfully and passively. I respectfully decline to obey. That's what you see in the book of Daniel. Not a defiance taking up arms. We're not Old Testament Israel fighting the Philistines. The point I want to make is, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and in verse 9, that open door was accompanied with great opposition. We're going to see great opposition in the future. You know, they may mandate again to shut buildings down and shut churches down and church uh, shut schools down. We don't know. But Christian people always meet. They just meet below the radar. So as I wrap this up, never forget... The Lord Jesus Christ is the true Eliakim of Isaiah 22. He's the one that has the keys that he opens and no one shuts. And he says at the very end of that text we read in Revelation chapter 3, he says in that second sentence of verse 8, I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word. May that be true of you and me. Trinity is not a strong church. Most of the churches that I visited on this trip, from the hill country, down on the Mexican border, in the Rio Grande Valley, most of those churches are very weak. Most of our churches hang on by a thread. We're not the big, gigantic, vast church with millions of dollars in endowments. You know, maybe this church is exactly like the church of Ephesus. We don't have a lot of money. We don't have a gigantic building that can seat 10,000 people in it. We don't have millions in foundations backing us up. 
I'd say that Trinity Evangelical Presbyterian Church has a little strength. But you know what? When I come to grips with this reality that I have a little strength, but I have the strength I need, I know this to be true of myself. My life is immortal until God's purpose for my life is done. Nobody can kill me. I might get sick. We had COVID. Sandy and I did. I might get sick. I may have some financial trouble. But I'll tell you this in the name of Jesus. If you're trusting in Christ, you will always have enough money, enough health, enough strength to do what God wants you to do. And you know what? What do we want more than that? Who wants to hang around this old fallen planet when we fulfilled our purpose? Wow, God is good. He's given us a little strength. And He's given us an open door. And the open door is not to go in and strong arm a politician and say, Congressman Long, I'm here to speak up on behalf of the unborn. I want you to vote pro-life. I did that. What did it accomplish? Nothing. But when I laid my hands on his shoulder, because I felt the Spirit prompt me. I'm not talking, I don't hear voices. I, I sense the Spirit prompting me. Pray for this man. Put your hand on his shoulder and pray for him. It impacted him. It impacted him. I don't know what happened inside his heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. But he experienced something of the power of the Holy Spirit and presence of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants to use weak people like you and me to touch people, even sometimes the high and mighty, as St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Not many mighty, not many noble, a few. So the open doors here for Trinity Evangelical Presbyterian Church to reach out and take advantage of the opportunities God gives you to share the Lord and not to try to strong arm and make your position be that person's position. Only the Holy Spirit can change people's minds. And He loves to do that. May we pray. Our Father, we thank You for the privilege of being able to gather to worship again this day. And we thank you, Lord, that as we have heard the word, as we've had that word interrupted to do the kinds of things that we read about in 1 Corinthians 10 through 14 and in the book of Acts, for a real need coming in and being real people dealing with real hurt and real fear and real trouble and real disease. And now, Lord, as we would break bread together, feed us with your word. Touch us with your amazing grace one more time for Jesus' sake.